The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend listening after you've already seen the movie in question, but we're not your boss. Do what you like. Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. Because we figured, you know, why not? Hope you enjoy the show. Right. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna get into all the reasons that I like it, cause I'm sure that'll, that'll come out <laughs> throughout the review. So it came out in like 1997. It has a 7.7 .7 on IMDb. A Rotten Tomato score of 71%, but an audience appreciation score of 86%. There it and is. has 4.5 stars on Amazon.com. Whoa, 4.5? That's what Resident Evil got. That's what everything got. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is is drink by Lupusan? I'm uh, surprised. I'm sorry. No, no, you go. Well, I'm surprised. You've got a mild audio delay, so apologies to the audience. I have no one. They. It seems like. That IMDb score seems low, but you said the audience rating was in the 80s, correct? Yeah, 86% audience appreciation. Okay, yeah, so I guess it is a little bit more of like a cult classic than like a a feat of movie making. Yeah, I don't know what the cutoff for cult classic is, but I feel like there have to be a significant number of people who dislike it to qualify as a cult classic, right? Um... Yeah, I guess that is usually... Go, the that goes hand in hand, I guess. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he can't call, like, the Avengers a cult classic. Because some people like it a lot more than other people, but most people like it. You know? So, if we're talking cult classics, so Army of Darkness with... Um, Bruce Campbell. Yes. That, I think, has cult classic status, but then, I mean, when I, when I do bring it up, I never hear anybody talk down about it. It's either people who love it or have just never heard of it. So is cult classic something that is, you like, really popularly disliked and only a small group like it? Or is it just something that maybe didn't garner much attention and only has a niche fan base? Like... Is I it? don't know. Okay. Because 
Army of Darkness to me is a cult classic, or um, I guess a lot of my cult classics I think kind of trashy horror, because then I think uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, or I think like Little Shop of Horrors, which all seem like cult classics to me. So, according to Wikipedia, a cult film, also commonly referred to as cult classics, is a film with a cult following, obscure, unpopular with mainstream audiences, and often revolutionary or ironically enjoyed. So it's both. It's obscure and unpopular. Obscure or, or, or unpopular. Yeah, okay. So it's both of our it's both of our thoughts. Yeah. To together, Ben we make one perfect perspective. Well that's why that's why I have co-hosts, because I could just talk. I could just talk for a long time on this show. Uh, and it might be even better for falling asleep too, but I also think it would be grating. Have you ever just, like, if you did a solo Ben app, what's, like, what's the movie, do you think? Oh, oh, oh of course. It's, it's Ghost Dog. You were just talking about Ghost Dog. Yeah, but I feel like, like, I'm stronger selling Ghost Dog when some fool is pretending it's not a great movie, (laughs) and I can beat them in front of the intended convert. Sure. I mean, you've probably heard enough, uh, enough arguments against Ghost Dog at this point that you could just, in your head, play the responses against the things you said, though, right? Yeah, I mean, there, the problem is there's no good arguments against Ghost Dog. Yeah. So it's not... I haven't been challenged yet because they're all they're all bad faith just rambling that frankly even the arguer's heart is in because they know they're wrong yeah cause Ghost Dog is just uh just the best movie of all time right hasn't been the proper argument Against that being the case, yet is all I'm saying. Alright. <laughs> so, couldn't be Ghost Dog for your single Ben episode. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna do a single Ben episode. That'd be so boring for everyone involved. Maybe you do a mini episode. You do a mini app. You do like uh, you do 
rock short movies. I don't know what a short movie is. I don't know. <laughs> what is short? <laughs> Various YouTube clips. <laughs> Come up with a term for what, uh, what, like a matinee manatee short would be. Didn't, wasn't that something you just we said a pod burst should be a thing. Yeah, pod bursts. Yeah, get on that, dude. So, listen, uh, before we get too far in the episode, I do want to, to tell. The audience, everyone listening, you, we, we might miss an episode or two in the coming months. I'm going to be in Europe, and I'm not near any of my own equipment, so I can't do any of the editing stuff. But, if you can convince Sam to record that Batman episode with you, I will definitely edit that together and throw it up. I just don't know if my internet connection is going to be intact or not. It should be, but because it's, it's Europe, it's not a place that isn't better wired than this place, but we might miss an episode or two. I apologize to everyone for that. I just want you to know why. It's not that we want to stop doing it, it's thousands of miles away. Sam Mediterranean. Sam better do that Batman episode. Because, I mean, it's been like, what, 604 days since he said he would? Approximately it's been seven years, I think, since it's, we started this. Uh, it's been before our friendship began when he promised me that in the future when podcasts were a thing. <laughs> I can't finish that. Uh. For you, uh... Are you looking forward to a break from recording? Or are you gonna miss it? Am I what? Are you looking forward to a break from recording these semi-regularly? Or are you gonna... Are you gonna miss it? Well, I'm gonna miss it. I, I, I like to... Um, I'm looking forward to a break from various other things, but it's a, it's a, it's a working trip, it's not a vacation, so it's, I actually don't want to be doing it, it's just better as an option than the other things I could feasibly have done for the same purposes. I think you should really just like rep 
manatees hardwiring Europe. See if you can find like an unexpected European audience. I am gonna wear the hoodies with our own brand on them. Uh, to the exclusion of all other warm weather clothing. <laughs> downloaded a translator app oh, that oh. should help, but I've, I've been assured that enough people speak English in Germany that it's really not an issue. Have uh, you learned to say the phrase America's number one podcast yet in uh, <laughs> in this language. No, but, but that'll be the up there with like how do I get to and how much does this cost? That'll be the three phrases I learned. Yeah, yeah. That's all you need. Everything else will be fine. The problem is I can't translate matinee manatees because then they won't be able to search for those terms in German. So they'll have to be matinee manatees ist. Bien podcast todos Estados Unidos, whatever it's in Germany. Editor's note. Matine Manazis is the beliebtest podcast in North America. It'll be like any time you're listening to uh, a foreign film and they have to say a company like Coca-Cola. <laughs> it'll, yeah. it'll, everything will sound like the other language and then it'll it'll just go Coca-Cola and then finish finish with whatever else they would say. Super different accent all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be good. It will be good. Uh, so anyway, sorry, um, might be able to put one up that'll, that'll that'll uh, drop when I'm gone might not be able to make that work I'm not quite sure how the uh, time delay 
podcast feeds things work, but if it works, cool. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. If it doesn't work, I'm going to take a stand right now and say we are going to get a Sam Batman episode this summer. Guaranteed. No questions. Well, it, it really just depends on how spotty the internet over there is. Because if I'm uploading one, it'll have to be from like a cafe somewhere. But that might be perfectly doable. So, we'll see. Could it not be uploaded from back here in the States? Uh, it could be, maybe, but I might have to buy more hosting uh, space, which would cut into the charity proceeds towards the Habitat cause, so I don't want to. No way. We're not. Um, as as a semi-regular guest and a fan, Ben, I will not stand for you cutting back funds from the Habitat. No, I and I'm not going to. I'm just like, I, I justify doing this thing I enjoy doing. It's really just fun for me by the fact having like an actual positive economic impact so if it stops doing that then it's just me trying to entertain myself while I should be working in Europe so I can't that has to be that's important you know it is it is and I I take offense to the fact that you would even consider taking money away from the habitat. I just I think d- it's I, didn't. I just think it's ridiculous, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I don't know. I didn't. It's okay. Let's just move on from this this really uh, weird moment we just had. Fifth album was directed by Luke Besson. Yeah, it was. Also directed Lucy, Leon the Professional, uh, and pretty recently Valerian and City of a Thousand Planets, which is the comic that a lot of this Fifth Element movie was based on the ideas from. I was I was wondering about that. Okay, that's interesting. He's yeah. He's also a huge creep, and I'll get into that later on, so I can ruin your enjoyment of this movie. Yay! <laughs> but that comes later. I wasn't sure if some of the stuff that made me uncomfortable was because of Bruce Willis or because of the direction of Bruce Willis or the direction and Bruce Willis. 
I'm fearless here in search Ambers. So, okay, so one thing that happened. Mia Jovovich and Lupusan got married after this movie. She's 22. He's like 35 at this point. Oh. But, listen, because this is charming. Listening. The, the, the woman who plays the diva is his wife at the time of filming. He leaves her for Mila Jovovich. Uh, what was her name? Mer Merwin? The one who does that, like, in the makeup who's being filmed. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. And she uh, started her relationship with Luke Basson when he was in his 30s and she was 15. Oh. And then left her when she got up to the ripe old age of like 22 or something for Miljovic. And... You know, that makes the weird undertones of Leon the Professional a lot harder for me to sort of look past as accidental. No. It's... Oh. And also makes... That's like wish fulfillment at that point. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But also... Check it out. That also means that the woman he was leaving for his newer, younger child bride had to do a scene where she describes the woman her husband is leaving her for as the perfect human who needs love. Oh, so. There's all that going on. Wait, and I feel squicked out by it, and now you do too. Do you? Who's the director of the Resident Evil franchise? <laughs> yes. Because I thought Mila Jovovich was married to the director of the Resident Evil movies. Oh, she, she divorced Luke Besson after like two years. Oh. <laughs> her, her, her new husband, which has actually lasted, so they must get along, uh, is, I think, Paul W.S. Anderson? Is that the. That the sounds guy? correct, yes. Okay. If that's the wrong person, I know it's not Wes Anderson. It might be called the Not Wes Anderson, yeah. Is the Resident Evil guy. That's her current husband. 
Yeah, he basically just made that whole franchise for her to keep acting in, right? Yeah. Because he's clearly not a fan of those games, because nothing like the games. I mean, honestly, the games wouldn't have made a great movie anyway, I don't think. But there's a... there's a bizarreness to them that I don't know. You you're right. Like it, it'd be a really weird thing to adapt faithfully because they're just bizarre. But well, because the games were based on Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, which are already movies that have better movie stories than the games do. So it's sort of a, uh... And then later there's like weird stuff going on in Africa and some, some like decrepit old town in Spain. I guess the newest one, you're, it's sort of back to its roots, like you're stuck in a cabin with a weird zombie family or something. Oh, that sounds interesting. It looked, I haven't played it, but I've seen gameplay trailers and it looks better again, but I don't have systems that weren't already kind of old at least 10 years ago so i don't know well okay so i was just trying uh, i got a little i got a little lost because i because of the miliovich marriage thing but at this time she was super young and he hooked up with her and married her after the movie Alright, I'm on board and creeped out. left the wife he started dating when she was 15, four. Although at least Miovich was an adult. So he was making progress by this point in his life. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's better. Yeah. It's better. I still and think Bruce, Bruce Willis is probably a part of the problem, though. Well, Bruce... What? Okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> He's, uh... I don't know. He's kind of known for being a little bit of a womanizing kind of creeper. I've never heard. I don't keep up with Bruce Willis. I do know him. He he's he's been in you know he was in Die Hard and Pulp Fiction, Sixth Sense, and I assume many other things that I'm not familiar with. But he's not. I know he's a big star. I just. He, He's not uh, one of the big stars that I 
have done any research on his real life on... He was in a movie that Kevin Smith directed, and I know that they had a very contentious relationship on set. Which one was that? I don't remember what the movie was called. I recall an anecdote about... I mean, this is perfectly justified for Bruce Willis to be bugged by. But I recall an anecdote about uh, a scene in which Kevin Smith, as the director, referenced something that Bruce Willis had done in Die Hard as how he wanted Bruce Willis to do the scene. And Bruce Willis got pissed and was just like, don't tell me to act a way I acted in a movie you saw me in one time. And it was... <laughs> so that's... So that's perfectly, that's perfectly fine reaction for Bruce Willis to have as, yeah, he, as a, as a creative, yeah. yeah. That's fine. Uh, anyway, Bruce Willis, he's pretty good. Mediovich of Resident Evil and Ultraviolet. Uh, <sighs> which, have you seen not, that one? Not good. Not good. It's... It, it could be... It, it... It... Yeah? I don't remember anything um, about it. Okay. I watched it, and I kept thinking that the movie hadn't started yet, or was in some way not possibly real. Uh, <laughs> so I should watch that one again. We should record a podcast about it. Ultraviolet. Eesh. I don't know. I don't know. That would make three Mila Jovovich movies for matinee manatees. Oh, that's true. Do you, well, do you want that to be part of your legacy? Well, let's see. So far, we're at two genre, two Mayovich, two. I forget. I had a bunch of patterns written down. We 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 keep recurring or returning to the same couple people over and over again. Okay. So I'm okay with there being some like Matty Matty All Stars. Ooh. Okay. And she could definitely be one of them. But I also don't want to act like we're, we're bullying her because most of her movies are very bad. <laughs> Which is. Probably not her fault. So the two big, like the the big ones, like I really can't 
think of anything else besides Fifth Element and then what you just said for Resident Evil and Ultraviolet? Is there anything else that's big that stands out? Uh, they made a new Hellboy that just came out a couple months ago, and she was a character in it. Okay, I heard that didn't do well. She was in Zoolander. Uh, <laughs> what else? Uh, yeah, I don't remember the rest. I can look it up, but those are all off the top of my head. More importantly, Gary Oldman is in this movie. Yes. And he's spectacular. Gary Oldman, who also worked with Hassan on Leon, the professional, but I think he was a little bit more memorable in Leon, the professional, but he was also Dracula, uh, and Commissioner Gordon in Batman Begins. Whoa! Um, hundreds of things. There's an image floating on the internet somewhere of just all the headshots of a bunch of characters he's played, and he's pretty unrecognizable in all of them. Yeah, he does kind of sort of envelop himself in the roles he does, it seems like. Uh, he disappears into the very well. I'm looking up his his movie roster real quick just because Oh, he was Sid Vicious and Sid and Nancy. Oh that's the other big one. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Good catch. Well Gary Oldman's great. Yeah, he's yeah. He's that kind of great where I assume he might be kind of a jerk in real life, but he's fantastic, so I don't know. Hmm. I'm not... Is is that just because you think his ego is just... It's gotta be huge? I haven't heard anything bad about him. That just sets him apart as one of the only really good kind of methody actors that I haven't heard something really bad about, which makes me assume that I probably just haven't heard about him. But he could be a real stuff guy. I don't know. So at this point in the podcast, we've both assumed. Bad things that we're not totally sure about a certain actors. <laughs> oh, I love it. 
Most every time I really like an actor too much, they wind up being evil in some way. So I've sort of tried to stop either liking anything or assuming anything isn't secretly evil. Which I think is just a good way to live. He was in Air Force One with Harrison Ford. What? Oh, how did I forget about this? Famously, another franchise, uh, Harry Potter. Oh, right, yeah, he was uh, Uncle Sirius Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's always got trouble for accidentally revealing in an interview one time that he wasn't going to be there for all of the movies. A bunch of people got mad for him spoiling it, but it was based on books that were already written. Yeah. So, that was interesting. Um, I remember that. Who else is big in the movie besides them? Oh, oh my uh, god, of course, fucking the, the guy who steals the show. Chris Tucker. Yes! Super great! Friday. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would put him higher on the billing myself. Because he's my favorite character, but I. he's very divisive. Oh, just so. in terms of people's reactions to, his, to uh, the character he plays? I think many people hate him, and I don't think they're wrong, but I love him. Guess I could see how it'd be a little grating, but he's—I think he like is so over the top that he goes past annoying and just becomes fun to have around. Yeah, it's. it's kind of amazing how he can modulate his voice and even just talk that fast for that long. But the, just the character himself is just, it's, it's very funny and very frivolous, but also just kind of, he doesn't do anything wrong at any point. Like, he seems like a pretty solid guy who would just be really obnoxious to try to talk to about anything, you know? This, uh, 100%, this viewing is the first time I've ever had subtitles on for Fifth Element, and it was also the first time I actually realized what he was saying during his radio show. It's so fast. It's so fast. Like, oh, we'll talk about it when we get to that part of the movie, but yeah. yeah. That rule apparently was offered to 
prince uh, before the song Chris Tucker, and he didn't want it. Uh, so that's fun. I wonder if Chris Tucker knew that. And, well, I mean, he's an over-the-top male diva, so he probably was pulling some inspiration from that regardless. Yeah, it's gotta be. It's coming from somewhere. Yeah. But I also can't think of an exact, like, uh, I think Gary Oldman said he drew inspiration from Ross Perot and Bugs Bunny? For Zorg? Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which I gotta see. Was it Bugs Bunny? I could have that wrong. Could have been a different cartoon, but something strange and cartoonish. And I don't know who Chris Tucker drew inspiration from. It also has Ian Holmes in it. Mm-hmm. Alien, Lord of the Rings, and From Hell. And uh, oh, where he's Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Yeah. And then Lord of the Rings, of course, he's Bilbo. That's the Lord of the Rings, not the, the Hobbit, in which it's Martin Freeman. And it's not his fault. Martin Freeman's a good actor. Those movies aren't his fault. But Lord of the Rings is better, and in that one, you know, it's Bilbo. And at that time, the Marvel Cinematic Universe hadn't mastered the de-aging process enough for... Because I think they're the ones who have kind of really spearheaded that, right? They've spearheaded a lot. Well, they've been the first big movies to use a lot of stuff, I think. But yeah. I could be wrong. Um, also, the first good old man makeup I've seen in a really long time. Uh, which one? The, uh, for Endgame. I don't want to spoil oh, it. Oh, right. yes. Yeah, that it's was surprising. It must be a month or two old when this comes out, but still, like, for aging makeup, it's usually very bad, and that one isn't. You know, face not as our call. I heard your criticism, and I didn't agree with it on the Peggy Carter makeup when she was old. I thought it actually looked pretty decent. It, for me, it was just the same problem that's in a lot of them where old people don't bulk up. But to put makeup on someone's face, it has to rest on their actual skin get bigger. So every, again, until this movie and like one or two others that have been a pretty good example, it's sort of like the, the fat suit thing where like, okay, but human fat doesn't work that way and that's movie fat because that's a fat suit. Movie old person makeup 
is puffier and larger and more robust than their younger selves, but wrinkly, which is okay. not how it is. I get works. that. It, it yeah. shrinks people around their skulls and that they can't imitate that with makeup very well. Without being able to have the, like, really mastered digital side of it, though, just in terms of just the makeup effects they did on Peggy for your typical age makeup, I thought was actually pretty good. But yeah, they definitely hadn't really mastered the digital side of how to then reduce some of that, some of that natural youth fat here. Well, and also just, it seems to focus, movie old person makeup seems to always focus on wrinkles and never about like sunkenness of features like eyes and cheeks and stuff. Uh, is is more it, it's weird because they do they do like zombies better like they get that <laughs> when it's a horrible monster they don't get that when it's just a person who's lost a lot of weight <laughs> like it's a uh, I don't know it's strange would you rather be more wrinkly or more sunken? You mean like from now on as a real life condition? No, just like, you know, when you get older, would you rather be a more sunken face or a more wrinkly face? Oh, more wrinkly. I want to puff up be the, the most powerful organism in the bayou. Whoa. On thousands upon thousands of pearls. I'm imagining a really, really wrinkly matinee manatee. I don't know why I added matinee. That's <laughs> <laughs> <was> like, <laughs> as if that was a specific breed of manatee. It's our, it's our subspecies of manatee. <sighs> North American matinee manatee. Matinee manatee is really into popular culture. Oddly ranges far beyond uh, the bayou to any coastal and inland territory. It's a strange species. A big fan of uh, breakfast burritos, I hear as well. Yeah. Well, you are. I I, I just like burrito burritos. Put anything in a tortilla, man. Put some fucking berry pie in a tortilla. Call that a dessert burrito and be real happy. I think that's a crepe. I think we just described it as a crepe. 
Mmm. I like it. Dessert burrito. So, uh, this is based on apparently a script that Luke Besson had started in high school and had been sort of working on for 10, 15 years on his own, which is why it's kind of convoluted. There's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, based mostly on the ideas of. There's a comic artist named Morpheus, a French comic artist, and I think he's the one. Uh, I'm I misremembering this. I read a bunch of articles about it, didn't write too much specific, to, specific stuff down. But the guy who did Valerian uh, was hired on to help with this one. Uh, then there's apparently a lawsuit after the fact that they thought that Fifth Element ripped off some of his ideas, but he was also hired to work on it, so it didn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's... Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then they must not have been too contentious because, you know, 20 years later, Luke Besson is the director who made the movie out of his main property, which is Valerian. Or Valerian and Lorelei, I think the comic is called, but that one wasn't super good. Doesn't matter. The, the most interesting facts that come up all the damn time in every article I read about this is that one, the language that Lilu speaks is an actual fleshed out language, which is why it sounds uh, significantly better when she's speaking it than most made up languages do. Because they have full 400 words and she and Luke would write letters back and forth in it until she pretty much had it. Oh wow, so she was legitimately fluid in that. Huh. And there were actual sentences she was saying. It had, it was, at the time it was made, the most expensive film made outside of Hollywood. I don't know if that's any film or just science fiction film. And it had the biggest indoor explosion filmed at the time, which apparently started a fire they couldn't get under control for about half an hour. Where was the indoor explosion? Remind me. I think just on the cruise ship when he throws the thing up. Oh, right, right, right. Hey! Or the balcony or whatever. That's a pretty big deal. And those are the facts that I have about the fifth element. Uh, the only word I can remember from the Lilu language, I think, was that ectogamet? Is that not without my permission or only with my permission? Uh, Ectogamot. Ect-
Dogamat. I don't know, but I'm glad that was what it was translated as. Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, oh god, does he kiss her? Yeah, and then she gets pissed about it. Yeah, well, cause she's asleep. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, hmm. You mean sexually assault her, right? Yeah. And it's like, no. No. Yeah, ectogamut, dude. Ectogamut. Ectogamut. That could be a tattoo, except I don't like this movie as much as you do. But it could be someone's <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> Well, some of this behind-the-scenes information is kind of creeping me out a little bit. Sorry, but it's it's top of my head when I think about it. No, it's fair. It just puts me in a in a puts me in a pickle, Benjamin. It's like. Can I keep watching this without thinking about some of the terrible people behind it? I don't know. Well, it just it jumps into my head uh, a lot during the bandage bikini scenes, which are also why I remember this movie so much when I saw it as a young teenager. Yep. But... And I start, you know, as an adult, you gotta think like, well, okay, why, why was this in it? <laughs> yeah. Like, it was great for a 14-year-old male audience, but why? Why couldn't the fifth element be in, like, uh, functional <laughs> outfit for doing all the stuff she's doing. Or a giant golden sphere with a weird bird head coming out the front. For instance. Well, because oh, it's Bruce Willis's character's Really two-dimensional storyline of uh, I think what's at the beginning of the movie he says he's looking for the perfect woman and then he meets the perfect woman and that's well, his so, story arc so it opens in Egypt 1914 there's, there's a prophecy about a gateway opening, releasing some kind of evil. Uh, Luke Perry's there. Yeah, whose name, by the way, I think is billed before Chris Rock's name, which is ridiculous to me. 
because look Christ, Harry, Oh, oh, fucking, I'm mixing up, uh, who plays Chris Tucker? Chris Tucker, thank you. Oh, hell yeah. I'm having a, uh, having a Chris mix-up, like, with, uh, with, uh, Avengers movies today. There's Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pratt. And the other Chris, all Chris Evans, and Chris Evans, all in like the same scenes. <laughs> uh, uh, there's l- listen, audience. If you already did, it's fine. But if you're gonna have kids in the future, don't name your boys Chris for a while. There's just Chris's all over the place. We have too many Chris's. Anyways, yes, correct. Luke Perry's name is like one of the first names billed, and he's only in the movie for like five minutes. Yeah, it's good five minutes. I like this bit. But the thing is, the the priest was so much more charismatic than everyone else that I really wanted him to succeed in uh, poisoning these archaeologists. Yeah, and so that actor's really um, that actor's I've seen in. He's gotta be a, like a like a bit player. He's in a lot of different things, right? The guy who plays the priest. Yeah, do I have his name? Uh, I don't. Not anywhere convenient anyway. That's fine. Well, if and when you watch Fifth Element, I feel like you just, everyone's probably got his face somewhere in the back of their subconscious. John Bennett? John Bennett. Look him up. Look the guy up. I am. Oh no, I was, no, I was was saying. (laughs) <laughs> I was speaking broadly. Oh, the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So. I didn't, didn't mean to make it sound like I was rushing you. So, so this dude's trying to poison some archaeologists. Uh, I got vibes of, like, the mummy, that little sect that was trying to protect that in secret. So I think this came before the mummy. I'm not sure. We should do that one at some point. Those are actually kind of fun. Oh, I, I like the first one a lot. Second one's okay. Third one, not so much. And suddenly, a big old ship lands. What I like about this is it kind of tells you what the entire plotline of the story is going to be, but in hieroglyphic form. 
which I enjoy. These big round bird robots come out. They remind me a lot of the uh, uh, the Skeksis. Skeksis. The bad guys from the uh, the Dark Crystal. What were those called? Oh. God, you know, I don't know off the top of my head. They are really... The, the aliens in this movie are pretty cool looking, though. That, that odd, they're like egg-shaped and they waddle back and forth like penguins. Yeah, they're like super slow and super non-threatened, even though one gets trapped in the tomb, uh, but just doesn't hurry up or can't hurry up or something. I don't think they can walk. I don't think they're able to run. It'd be hard to run those, but I love these guys. Do you, is it, uh, we don't really get an answer to it, but are they, is that them, or is that armor that some other creature's inside of? Well, I think later on, it, it's a bunch of little Mijoviches in there, right? Like, it's weird, huge armor and has nothing to do with their actual morphology, I think. Because of how they introduced Miejovich, aren't they all Miejovich in there? Oh, right, because the armor has nothing to do with their morphology for some reason. It's just... Yeah. Because her hand is that same type of metal, whatever that piece of hand that's left over is. Yeah, so basically just like big old ground spaceships, except they can't move. They're, they're pretty great. I like them a lot. I was just uh, I was a little disappointed to find out they weren't an actual species looked like that. They were just armor for people. Well, isn't the... I wasn't under the impression that the fifth element is technically humanoid. I I thought that it's... none, None of it is explained when she's like digitally recreated or whatever that that machine is. I think she's uh, just cloned. Like, they didn't, they didn't wrap up uh, alien DNA in human skin, right? They, they cloned her genetically or whatever. Yeah. It's so vague. Yes, they did clone her, but it, she ended up with uh, with 
the human frame, but the big blocky metal hand was full of her genetic code. So I, I feel like maybe the machine they put her in was designed to make humans out of whatever the code was. That'd be weird. It's not, it's not super clear, so it's definitely open to interpretation. I don't know. It just always, it never made sense to me that she was human. It, it felt, it's always felt like whatever she was was given human form. But also, so in this scene, these aliens come down and take big sarcophagus out of this, this knob here, this, this Egypt-style cave tomb castle thing. Uh, is she in that sarcophagus? Is that Lilu in there? I think so. I think that's what it's supposed to be. Okay. So it takes her cause out because World War One is threatening it and they don't think it's safe there anymore, but they need to... It, it, it's set up so that it can, from Earth, be used to defeat this thing that comes down every 5,000 years, blah, blah. Luke Perry panics and shoots them, so they have to get out of there in a hurry, and they leave the key with the priest. The awesome priest. down the knowledge of it. Uh, 300 years later, whoa, uh, monitor thingies are approximately matching the hieroglyphic thingy. And you know the time is right for a thing to happen. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Which in this case is uh, the planet Apocalypse from DC Comics comes out of nowhere and the priest, a president, and a general all have to decide what to do with it. The president is Debo from Friday. <laughs> the planet can also make direct phone calls and has a slight has like a has a human voice. Of course, they can make people bleed chocolate syrup out of the top of their heads. Yeah, is that chocolate syrup a real dark, thick blood? It's a bad blood effect if it's blood. 
There's never I... been any real consensus on that, has there? I don't know, I, I, I heard someone's theory that's like, it's so evil it's pulling the impurities in someone's body towards it or something. Whoa. Uh, I don't know why that's a thing in one case. Or in two cases. And where? <laughs> where would that have been even, like, specified? It, it's not. It's it's audiences that really like the the movie making excuses for it after the fact, which is fine, but also not true. What would actually be going on there? Story was. It's fine. It's just incorrect. It's fun. It's just you're hoping. It's not. You're hoping, not discovering. It's funny. So these these star destroyers are going to try to blow it up, but the planet gets hard because it's an intelligent planet anticipates the, the attack. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like the molten surface cools into continents and stuff, so the missiles won't work on it. And then it just gets bigger like the priest predicts it will because the priest is a disciple hundreds of years later of that same priest from the first scene and then it shoots a uh, a, a, a ghost rider spirit of vengeance at them and they all die wait well because I mean part of the problem is Priest, not the priest, the the guy who's on the ship that gets destroyed sees the cause and effect of every time he blasts it. It just keeps getting, it just keeps enlarging and just keeps choosing to blast at it. He's a very two-dimensional character. Yeah, and the, the, the planet or the moon or whatever is... The priest just says it's evil, like it's made out of pure evil. That's why the violence makes it get bigger. But that's all we really get about what this thing is or why it is or anything that. It's, it's an evil moon that gets bigger when you hit it. It's pretty... It's very fantasy. It's like... The villain is not sci-fi. Because of that. No, it's, it's very Sauron. Kind of. Yes. But I want to know where it's from or why it's a 
planet or anything like that. Because otherwise I don't know the rules until very late in the game. Yeah, I hear you. I don't... I don't always need an explanation. Like, some of my favorite or just use an example of a really oversaturated type of movie. Um, some of my favorite apocalypse zombie movies are the ones where, like, like, if you are an average person in that world, you wouldn't have all the answers for how that happened. You're just existing, like, with the consequences of it. Oh, sure. Uh, like, I okay, too. I just, by the end of the movie, I need to know at least what the rules of the zombies are. Yeah, at if, least... If, they're oppositional and like some of the comic movies how do we survive or beat these things like, like for me it's, it's a Goldilocks zone of conflicting things in this one where it's I don't need to know anything about it or I need to know more about it because Ian Holmes already knows a lot about it that doesn't make any sense. Like, if it's completely alien and we don't understand what it wants or why it's doing it, anything, but we know it's going to hurt us if it gets here, that's enough for me. But if you know it's a manifestation of evil and it can only be feared by love and it comes every 5,000 years or something, that's, see, that's just enough yeah. for me to uh, believe that a religious individual would know about it if it's just passed through religious tradition. The, the timeline is uh, way too specific for religious information. Uh, but separate from that, just knowing it as, a, as an entity of true evil might yeah, okay. That's that. I feel like that's how a priest would describe something to me. Okay. Uh, he's not the, uh, he's not a, he's not a super science nerd in a Roland Emmerich movie. Well, I don't know if this was at all intentional, um, I guess it's not, because it implies at the end that it's stopped in its tracks every time. But there, there's an actual, and by actual, I mean, it's an actual theory, not an actual thing that exists, um, of another planet, 
being between like Mercury and the Sun that's on a high elliptical orbit and only messes up the solar system every couple thousand years. Oh, if you're curious about this stuff, it's by the same news I can tell broad category of people who think every major uh, architectural achievement that wasn't white people was aliens. <laughs> so this is not true or valid news I can tell on any front really but the uh it's, it's called Nibiru if you want to look into it and and find out that fun stuff I could be misrepresenting it entirely because I didn't spend much time on it but I wonder Nib if that was a... Nibiru? Uh, N-I-B-I-R-U, I think, is the, uh, what they've named it. But it's supposed to coincide with, like, a cycle of, of uh, civilizations collapsing every couple thousand years that... Some historian decided was cyclical, and then they thought it might have something to do with, you know, a planetoid that messes up the tides and, and electronics and stuff, and would be on a highly elliptical orbit that would bring it around this often or something. If that planet can make phone calls, then Fifth Element just became a base on a true story situation. Yeah, I wondered if it was based on it in some way, or if that was an inspiration for the thing he was doing, but then it seems to not be. But I just wanted to mention that because it's a, it's a thing I know about and it's kind of interesting and I want people to think that I'm smart. That is kind of interesting and I already think you're smart. Thank you. Yeah. Cut to Bruce Willis in Brooklyn. Whoa, waking up. Like, just a crazy, dirty bachelor that he is. Yeah, it, it's kind of this crazy, colorful, like, chunky cyberpunk look to it. It reminds me a lot of Judge Dredd. The, the aesthetic of this future where everything looks like it's a little too big and thick and heavy and everything's very chunky and plasticky yeah it's like everything is gone as opposed to things going more ultra light and thin in the future Things have just become like 
more utility-based a little bit. Does that make sense? Uh, am I saying that right? Say it one more time. They're getting more almost like utilitarian. They're getting more, um... So they're getting more like rugged and durable, looks like. They, they look like Duplos, kind of. Like yes. You could drop yes. most things in this world and it would be okay. Yeah, exactly. But also, like, if you fell anywhere in this world, you would crack your head on something harder than your skull. You know? They do that for that version of a, of a sci-fi future, too, where everything is just the the city's just built so high up it's like full-on coruscant style yeah well and i i think just given the scene that happens later uh that most of coruscant and most of the scenes in that movie were ripped from this idea, it seems like. Because they have the exact same falling through lines of car traffic that... Oh, Ace Futurama has that too. I don't know. Uh, we're told that it's 2 a.m. on March 18, 2263. So that's the time we're dealing with. It's, it's 250 years in the future. And everything's disposable. There's a disposable bed. Everything's wrapped in plastic. It's a lot of fun. It's a very... Like if Ikea got more of an industrialized efficiency going on just with the super tiny space and like the shower comes down but to use the fridge you have to put the shower up and yeah it's just like everyone's just living I mean it's not just that tiny home living in general Uh, like I'm always impressed by how but things can fold up in RVs and the like. But in this one, because everything's giant and chunky, it's gotta require at least two empty floors above and below it to store everything that folds out of the way. So I'm not quite sure how it works. You know? That's a really good observation. I never considered about the 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 empty space where stuff goes down. Yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't fold up. It just rotates out of the room. But then where's it going to? 
there's gotta be floors between the floors where everything kind of like shifts. So that would explain why they yeah, had to build their cities so high. Because they have all this ridiculous additional space. Because every floor in the future is 26 yeah. vertical feet. And it's not it's not actually much of a room saver as a result. So <laughs> I've never thought about that before. No, it's like he's in the center of this rotating nexus of a bunch of gears, like different beds and showers yeah. and washing machines and stuff. But it checks out with how tall the buildings are, so it actually still kind of works in the world. It just doesn't make sense. But, you know, how many things that are system systematized really do make sense after a certain period of time? People just get used to stupid shit. I mean, it could be shared. The apartment could pass around a shower to whoever is using it or something. But then when the fridge comes back up later, it's, the, it's got the same people in it. Yeah, no, it's... it's yeah. No, it's, it's definitely it the fact that they have an empty floor between every floor. That makes the most sense. So we see from just stuff on his wall, is this when he's talking to his friend on the phone already? Uh, I think he wakes up to a phone call. Yeah, so it, it, it is mentioned or shown that he's a cabbie, he's recently divorced, and he's a vet. Uh, a veteran, not a veterinarian. And he's uh, the owner of a cat. Yeah, and he has a cat. And he's a decorated whatever. And he has one friend who's the voice on the phone from his military days, even though later on says all his friends in the military is dead, so I don't know what that's about. And he's got only a couple points left on his license, so he needs to take his car and whatever, whatever. There's a mugger waiting outside with a picture of the hallway on his hat to fool the peephole. <laughs> Who... You like it? It's really weird. I don't understand what's happening. No, that's isn't that isn't that what he says? Uh, at the very end of the interaction, person was like, "That's a very nice hat." Yeah. Because the guy's like, he's tweaked out on some sort of future drug, and he's like. 
You like it? Yeah, and he points, he puts a gun Bruce Willis' face. Bruce Willis just has a bigger gun and takes his gun and puts it in his gun closet and has like 15 guns in it. Which also so. descends from the ceiling and goes back up into <laughs> one of those it's phantom the, floors. The trench coat space up there. Have you seen the original heavy metal anthology? Oh jeez, it's been years. Yo, so you'll have to remind me. Well, just one of the main stories in that one. That's the weird one where like a, a Corvette comes down from outer space with a lady in it, and then there's. One story about people getting abducted, and one story about a guy waking up to a barbarian planet buff her body, and one story about a lady, like, riding around dragons and jousting people, but, uh... Wow, I really need to rewatch this. It's weird. It's, it's better on LSD, but the first one is about a future cabbie who drives a flying cab and this lady either jumps into it or falls into it or something and needs help and it's very similar but also like 10 years older so it might be borrowing a lot, or not, I'm not sure, but I think it's a interesting thing to note, and everyone who hasn't seen Heavy Metal should, I'm not recommending it, I'm not saying it's good, I'm just saying you should see it. This is like how when, uh, on Red Letter Media, when the mic guy is able to connect almost everything they see to an episode that Star Trek has done at some point in its history or like uh, or like when South Park's probably already done an episode on something yeah, no, I mean, it's every, everything's influenced by whatever people have consumed growing up. I'm not saying that's a bad, hacky thing to do. I am just saying I'm, I'm noticing where the influencers are coming from. And heavy metal's almost definitely one of them. Okay. Uh, it's it be checked out. I should probably just take some LSD and watch heavy metal then, right? Yeah, do it. Alright, cool. I'll that call you after. Oh, right now? No, no, no. <laughs> ben, I gotta go. Just gave me a great suggestion. <laughs>
and then if you actually cut the episode there, that'd be kind of funny. Alright. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Oh, <laughs> the priest is talking with the president, Devo, and everyone. There's four stones. The sphere robots had that are the only weapon that can beat the new planet. Cuts to a big gold bird ball showing up in his ship. <laughs> Gets attacked by orcs in other ships. Work for Mr. Zorg, who's Gary Oldman, basically unrecognizable again, and they shoot down the big gold bird ball ship. He's got that great receptionist who just tries to eavesdrop. She's just got trippy hair. She stood out to me. She was kind of funny. I don't remember what she looks like. Uh, Red hair? Is it or am I thinking of a... I'm thinking of a skeleton from the Grand It was just a funny, like, momentary character bit. I just... I... I... I appreciate the uh, the background actors in after you see so many viewings of a movie you start like kind of just looking at the background and not looking at like all the the stuff the the, the lead actors of the foreground stuff uh, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, eventually you just you see a movie enough, you just just start looking at everything else that you don't typically pay attention to. And on this viewing for something about just uh, that little beat was was extra comical to me. Well, I didn't notice her, but. That's my own fault. She's probably great. (laughs) Uh, So they shoot the ship down. We're told the only survivor is a few cells and a piece of metal that I didn't recognize right away was a glove, but it is. So, everyone blow up except they keep the glove of this big, it's a big golden glove. It's from the big golden bird guy. (laughs) Says, they have much denser DNA than humans. Like, human DNA has 40 strands, this is 20,000 or something. Alright, okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's got it's got it's like a higher thread count of sheets. It's like she's percent certain that's not how it works, but alright. No way. She's just a way better sheet, man. Um, it's like Egyptian cotton. Might be my favorite part in the entire movie. They 3D print her a body, extracting DNA from the glove. And it's just really cool. I don't know. It's it's because they keep. They put down these little like slides, those MRIs, not, is it MRI? Yeah, it's MRI yeah, slides, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a human brain skull thing, just sort of slammed together. They have this weird thing where they wrap the whole thing in muscle, which just, it looks like a loom. They've got all this red tendons they wrap around the whole thing and super gross and super neat. It's rad. I like even just the the little added piece at the end with the ultraviolet rays to make the body react to crease skin. Yeah. It's, it's, it's super it's a, weird. I'm into it cool sci-fi thing. It's just a cool sci-fi thing. But, but, it, it makes me wonder, do people die in this world? Uh, if they're poor, yes. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> like, they don't address that all. Like, can everyone just keep on coming back? What's the, what's the, if all I need is a hand, does anyone need to die? How, how does it all work, you know? That's it's probably a pretty pricey procedure. Oh, fair Like the, like the, the government's got like an invested interest in dropping some cash on using this machine. It's just based on like how shitty all the, all the vehicles and uh, tend to seem and just the, the state of the of the city seems pretty shitty. Like, this is probably like a high-end uh, procedure. You got characters like Ruby Road who are super rich, presumably. Oh, yeah. Uh, does he have to worry about dying? I don't know. What is this thing? How does it work? That's all we all we know is the scientist who is in charge of the machine is real creepy. Yeah. As like, everyone. Yeah, he seems kind of like a predatory. I guess 
A lot of them do, though. Good point. Alright. <laughs> so, it turns out these giant gold spheres with bird heads on them are all actually have have a tiny Mijovich inside of them. Because that's what gets spat out of their their clone up from the hand machine with with dyed hair with the roots coming out already. fairly prominent leg bruises and I don't know uh, how all this has already happened <laughs> but that's a thing because <laughs> uh, the body is 18 seconds old but alright oh, fine I don't think I noticed leg bruises I'm gonna pay attention next time She's born knowing the language. It's not the language they speak, but that's also... Whatever, it's fine. Uh, her DNA has her brain in it, because... Well, she's got, she's got brain in all her hand parts, and she has memories in her hand parts. And we're not going to think about it. Cause it doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's almost like she's she like, her memories, I guess, are also stored in the hand DNA. So it's just like she's picking up from where she left off, kind of. Yeah, she's got all of her... She's got backup hard drives in every cell of her body or something. I don't know. She's the... I mean, what, what was it again? 27 strands, so... That's a lot of strands of DNA. Yeah, it's... A, <laughs> So she, so she busts out, she jumps through the wall, it's very silly. The tinfoil wall? The wall yeah. made of tinfoil? Jumps through the tinfoil wall, falls right into Bruce Willis's cab when the police chase her. Oh yeah, after the McDonald's scene. Yeah, there's... Well, also, after they get shot to hell, like... Like, they get... Oh! That one part where they drive past the... The... Wall? The, like... The, like... Four by nine wall of cops just shooting. Yeah, like yeah, 
Gatling guns, and they got go right through. You hear them ducking from some of the bullets, but the car doesn't shrug them off. Yeah, where are y'all ducking to? Everyone's dead. <laughs> There's so... I think she has one bullet wound by the end of the chase. Right? Everyone should have died. Everyone should just be dead. As Bruce Willis is a... It's got that... 3D flying cars, but there's still streets and lots of traffic thing. Like in Revenge of the Sith, like in Futurama, like in Blade Runner, like in a lot of things. Yep. And they drive past a giant McDonald's drive-thru, because they still have drive-thrus, but it's in the sky. I assume this is product placement, because <laughs> it did make me a little bit hungry, but it's also, what, 30 seconds later they crash into a truck full of McDonald's ingredients, and it's disgusting. So, yeah, I remember th thinking, I was like, they're really kind of cancel each other out. Yeah. Um, they hide in the smog layer, which the police cars can't see through because the entire bottom hundred floors, three hundred floors, or whatever, are. Uh, Entirely smog clouds. Yep. Which is fun. And we don't know if people live down there. The assumption is yes. I assume there's an underclass that would be an interesting thing to explore in the sequel they're ever going to make. They should never make a sequel. It's good that they sh It's good that they probably aren't gonna make a sequel. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things you can never make this movie today because no. they weren't trying to start a franchise. Yeah, it so makes me think of um. So like we. We're defining cult classic earlier, so I, I, I think Boondock Saints, the first one, is kind of a cult classic. Uh, whether or not you yeah. like the movie, but they made a sequel, and they really shouldn't have made a sequel. I didn't see the sequel, or I didn't like it, but I didn't like the first one that much. Like, it was, uh... Yeah, it's fine. I could, you could see how that might be a cult classic, though. Like, it's, it's a unique enough little movie that it could 
people could probably get really into things that you maybe just weren't a fan of. Well, I feel like it, it appealed a lot to the same crowd that didn't get Fight Club. That didn't get Fight Club? Yeah. <laughs> but I <laughs> liked it for some reasons. Though. Oh, it's got it, got it, got it, yeah. Was doing. Yeah, not the point of what the, what, um, Chuck Palahniuk was going for when he actually wrote the novel. Yeah, but the yeah. good dog seems like targeted directly at that misunderstanding. Like, yeah, I got you. What you say? What if what they're doing was like right on? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I so agree. He, he, he bring her to priest. Bring her. Chica. Uh, he, he, he's told to wake her up, so he sexually assaults her. She immediately pulls a gun on him and is forced out of the house, and that is good. Ectogamut. Ectogamut. And then we meet Mr. Zorg, who's giving a bunch of guns to the orcs for the case. <laughs> I forgot that's how he was introduced. And the, these guns, like, they have everything in them. They have a, a freeze gun, a fire gun, or whatever. They have this really interesting concept they bring up once, which is that if you fire one bullet from the gun, all the other bullets like magnetically track to it or something. Yeah, and how did that not become a thing used later in the, in the movie? Yeah, how are you going to mention that and not bring it up? And also, how is that a good thing? So if you miss once, the entire clip is useless. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a good point logistically as far as the way that gun could be misused. But... It should have been used in a really cool and effective way at the, at the end of that movie. Yeah, if, if you're gonna set up this weird feature as a uh, plot point or something... I don't also, think those guns were even used at all in the rest of the movie. Oh, the firefight... Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is also a useless feature for women. Because, okay, so they, they give them this case that has the rocks in it. It's an empty case. This is the first of 67 empty cases that Mr. Zorb will open 
office 
Zorn's room. Yes. We're like only away from Zorn for a little bit, and then Zorn's back. Because he brings Ian Holmes to his office. And Amelia starts comedically choking on a cherry. <laughs> yeah, it's the, because they set, they do that setup with the, the, isn't it like the priest is asking for assistance and not getting it, so then they flip it where Zorg needs him or. He's got some kind of villain analogy that Ian Holmes gets to turn back in his face, but I forget what it was. It's just, it's cartoonish and very uh, sudden, because like, because Mr. Zorg, uh, Gary Oldman, is saying how destruction creates life and it's a, that's part of this whole thing and he doesn't see it as he's destroying everything against his own people or whatever, he's just the other side of this process and then starts choking needs the Heimlich uh, and, and spares Ian Holmes because Ian Holmes gives him the homily and saves him. It's just it's a, a very weird scene. It's a real over-the-top villain moment for Zorg because he's going all in and not only is he talking about how how sort of chaotic or no what would he be lawful neutral because he's just a opportunist right is that how would you define him I mean I define as lawful evil for good lawful evil because he would have you believe that it's evil isn't really the thing that he he views himself serving it's just he views himself as being shrewd for taking advantage of a business opportunity to be in like connection with that kind of power yeah, but also that he's not destroying anything permanently because destruction is what makes other things. Yeah, so it's, he has an excuse for his evil. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like super over the top villain mode because he's just explaining this to this like good priest. Yeah, but the, the sudden choking so he can owe him his life thing is very strange. That, 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 I don't know. It's a weird movie. It is a weird movie. 
I love the little elephant desk monster. Hideous uh, <laughs> rubber space cat thing. Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> it's such a weird, weird addition. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, so, so he Heimlicked him, but then uh, I forget. I forget where they go from there. Oh, 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 this is, it goes back to outer space where the dark moon is eating all the communication satellites. Mm-hmm. Which you'd think would mean there'd be no communications. It's like uh, some sort of <laughs> communications blackout and things are getting bad. No. They just say he's doing it, and then nothing comes of it. Yeah, there is Unless no consequences. <laughs> Unless that's how he makes phone calls, which is one very weird thing comes from it. But everything else functions as normal, even though all the communications outs are mean by the moon. Yeah, they're able to stay in contact until, like, the, the very last moment. Yeah, one, and one of the main characters later on is still broadcasting a live radio show. So... Nothing in this movie has any effect. <laughs> it's... It's riding on water. It's... <laughs> I, I totally believe them when they say that this guy was writing the script in high school. <laughs> because this <laughs> not... It's just so goddamn stylish for the time it came out in that I think the spectacle was just enough to distract. Well, this right here is where the plot loses me and kind of pisses me off. Because, okay, so you have this, this random everyman hero who's the, the taxi driver. Right, and the the perfect being via coincidence literally falls into the back of his cab and gets him involved in all this stuff. <laughs> they undo that because he gets sent home, and then for completely unrelated reasons, the president sends a general to go recruit him because he used to be in the army to go get these stones that the lady who just happened to fall into the back goes down earlier is also supposed to go get that waste like 40 minutes of the movie 
two traveling circumstances to bring these three people back together that they just sent apart because he had to make out with her while she was asleep. Like, <laughs> I'm mad about it. <laughs> what the hell are they doing? fucking president of Earth, right? So they're sending one guy and He's the president of the shit. Federation of Planets, I believe. So it's larger than, like, a couple city blocks. Yeah, I would say. So he can't have his own ship. Instead, they rig a sweepstakes, like a radio sweepstakes, so he gets a ticket to go on a cruise <laughs> to this planet. And they're sending one guy with a partner he doesn't actually partner up with. Yeah, they're, they're really going to lengths to try to make it an undercover mission by getting him to but win this. Why? To win this. Yeah, yeah, that's the point. It's like, to get him to win this cruise... They're trying to make it seem like he's going undercover, but by winning this, it's elevating him so everyone knows who he is. <laughs> and to begin with, there's no reason to make him hidden. It should just be a direct mission because there's a giant evil planet coming towards them. Yeah, and it's... So it turns out that the, the random bumping into these people is totally unrelated to why Bruce Willis is there and could have been completely deleted. The movie could start now. Yeah, uh, it's just that slapstick scene where it seems like the three 
that were sent to him got frozen to death, and then he leaves them behind. Yeah, so, so Leela comes over and the priest comes over, because they're going to try to... But did they hear he won the contest on the yeah, radio? They came, they, yeah, they came to steal his tickets. Yeah, so they knock him out, but he wants to hide her from the military guys. So he shoves them in the fridge and murders them. <laughs> Because you see their frozen carcasses later. <laughs> and Holmes hits on the back of the head. The police also come at this point. Like everything happens at once for no damn reason. Because Zorg sent the police that the Zorg sent in a false report so the police would go get this guy. Yeah, so that his own guy could say he was, what's his name, Corbin? Yeah, so that Cor the priest wants to pretend he's Corbin Dallas and Zorg has the alien orcs use uh, cloak like um, some sort of technology to change their appearance to also pretend to be Corbin Dallas. Yeah, but then the police arrest the wrong guy because apparently Corbin Dallas's business card is on another door? Yes. So, yeah, and I missed the part where anyone put his business card on another door. I missed the part where any of this is... Also, these guys have their own ships. Like, they have two attack ships the orcs use, then Zorg has his own third. Why do they need to... Yeah, they could always go to Floss in Paradise. Yeah. There are no cars in this world. We're not given any explanation for why they all have to go through this particular avenue to Flossdom. Yeah, the government has no ships, the bad guys have no ships, except both of them clearly do. I would understand why the priests would be trying to get on a cruise to Floss in Paradise because that'd be the really the only way they could get there. 
Oh yeah, one third of this makes some yeah, sense. That's the only one that makes sense to me. It's it is weird. Oh, one thing I did like about this though a lot is that when the scene begins, Bruce Willis is having lunch with a floating Chinese oh restaurant. Yes. That's done up like a... Oh, it's definitely a date. But it's done up like a, like a old wooden dinghy. But it's just sort of floating outside his door and the guy's making it fresh and it's got a little counter. And I would love this, but I... I wonder how many customers he can hit a day with this setup. Because he yeah. pulls the restaurant up. He doesn't deliver the food. He delivers the restaurant and then waits and sits there while you eat it and talks with you. Which is dope. I love that. It's but awesome. How many hours are there in a day versus how many customers can I actually do this for? Yeah, it would have to be a really expensive service, it seems like. Yeah, or he lives on that boat. He probably lives on the boat. Well, that could be it. Maybe it's fine. But this is a very strange... But very cool thing. Anyway, I do not need this mission. I'm annoyed that they do all this <laughs> just to bring three characters together to resolve all my Taylor two scenes ago. Yeah, it does seem weird, because you, you, you could have just kept them all together, had them find out about the cruise to Floss in Paradise, they could have went to try to steal it from the person who won it, and that could have involved other people as a result, like cops and stuff. Or he could have just won it. That could be a crazy coincidence, but then only one instead of three. Yes. There's just like too many coincidences. I can take one, I can't take all of them. Well, also, I know it's sort of Bruce Willis' thing, but I don't need him to be a super capable army guy. Like, I kind of like that he's a cabbie who's relatively capable because he's in a bad neighborhood. Like, that's fine. 
you know. He did what the Die Hard franchise took like three movies to do in about 20 minutes, where he just starts as a regular everyday man and becomes an action hero. Yeah. Which is, I think, one more boring part of the movie, but it might be a little than that. Oh, when everyone's just shooting at the end? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he catches up with these guys. Just sort of unceremoniously replaces the priest guy by just telling him, like, oh no, I'm doing this now. This is my ticket. And the priest is like, oh, uh, uh, uh. Sort of gets shuffled off. So he's gonna go with Lilu. The orcs try to follow, but are detected because they use the name that he just used, which makes the third guy use the same. I did like this gag. Because first the priest comes up saying he's Corbin Dallas, and Corbin Dallas comes up saying he's Corbin Dallas, and as soon as they're on, <laughs> orcs in disguise come up saying they're Corbin Dallas, and the way you kind of counter does some pretty good, just non-verbal face acting, like, hmm. <laughs> Also liked how they set up this terminal because it, it looks like they filmed in a real like subway station or airport terminal or something they didn't have access to the whole of. So it's just this immense pile of garbage That's that blocks the rest of the terminal. What the garbage was for? I wasn't sure if they're. It's just like an odd character, like world detail that I didn't get. Yeah, I mean, they're either doing some sort of non subtle commentary on the cleanliness of like subways and airports in general, or they couldn't film. A very big location wanted to seem big so that pile of a bunch of garbage that you couldn't see past. I mean, if that's the case, that was a pretty good idea because it works. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It could be, I'm not sure. <laughs> There's a firefight in the terminal. And then my favorite character comes in because they get on the boat, they're immediately confronted with Ruby Road. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I love him. He's, he's a radio host. He's talking to Corbin because Corbin's the one who won the challenge. 
he never stops talking. I get why people find him obnoxious. He shouldn't, though. He's great. He's just great. I love him. And the whole time, so I told you, I, I finally kept the subtitles on for this one. And the whole time, he's just... <laughs> he's just, like, over-centralizing Corbin Dallas to the listeners and just talking about how he's the man and you're gonna find out all about this guy the whole time and you're gonna find out super nitty gritty details about this guy that you're gonna love ladies it's just like all about talking about how you're gonna get to know Corbin Dallas like that's his show he basically refuses to be interviewed or his response is all mono. <laughs> Monosyllabic? That's the word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got it, you got it. It's fun. Uh, meanwhile. Was, yeah, so I, I bring that up because I just think it's impressive that. <laughs> That he's able to just because of his delivery just make what's a pretty boring text pop. Wait. Uh, oh, oh, you, you mean the uh, the juxtaposition between like this writing isn't that fantastic. He's just delivering it fantastic. Yeah, like, he, he really makes what's actually kind of, like, boring, like, some boring dialogue or some, a boring monologue just, like, pop just because delivery's amazing. Uh, then we got the... The fourth guy who claims to be Corbin Dallas, which is Zorg's guy, he doesn't get in at all. And then he calls Zorg, and Zorg's mad about this, so he dials that number and makes phones explode. And kills him. Which, in some of our answers, Priyan doesn't remember the payphone days. I think it was Star 69 if you wanted to blow up the, the phone. Right? Yeah, that's the one where you could return. <laughs> where you could call the person back. Oh, I thought that was the blow up the phone one. Oh, yeah. Double zero to blow up the phone? I forget. That's what it is. 411. Blow up the phone. Mm -hmm. Popcorn. Pop 
Japanese hotel bunks, they're just those little sort of people shelves. Uh, and I thought this was the cruise ship. I guess it's not. It's actually just the bus to the cruise ship. Yeah, it's the space bus. Yeah, but I thought it was the cruise ship, and I was like, oh, that's, that's fun. Future, it's considered a vacation if you get to sit in a, a casket and just chill. Now we have the the weird Jamaican exterminators scene where there's reggae music playing. And these guys just, and I don't know what, what this is. (laughs) They have to flamethrower the creatures that try to live on the space bus. Yeah, it, it feels racist. Maybe it's fine. I'm not qualified. That's weird. That was some just random, just like some random addition to the priest sneaking onto the plane. You don't need to see people burning things. Yeah, and doesn't come back like that's the whole scene the parasites that are up in the they're just trying to give you a sense of the world it was just a weird it was a weird sense of the world or maybe it's how they're frequently biological things on the landing gear and that's that's why no one notices the priest goes away that way maybe 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 oh it was a weird scene it's very strange this is when the evil planet apocalypse from Superman just straight up calls Zorg on the phone. Yeah. Just calls him. It's super bizarre. Goes through his secretary and everything. It's... (laughs) Oh yeah, she has a name for him. Mr. Shadow. Mr. Shadow, even. She knows it's Mr. Shadow. Yeah, so it's Mr. Shadow. This is when he starts bleeding chocolate syrup out the top of his head. Yeah, or pure evil. What was that 
that theory. All the toxins in your body being attracted to the dark planet? Yeah, something. Or just real, real thick, goopy blood. It's weird. Turns out that wasn't the cruise ship, that was just the bus of the cruise ship. The actual cruise ship is just a cruise ship as cruise ship in outer space. I'm very amused by it. they come on board and they have a bunch of uh Hawaiians dancing. Yeah, like calls again. This is a gag I didn't mention earlier, but he, he keeps having conversations with his dispatcher, which is when he talks to about all his girl problems and sort of swoons over pretty passengers with. And his mother, who calls and harangues him about whatever, and now she's mad that He's not taking her with him on the cruise, which is a fair thing to be mad about. <laughs> but the joke is he, his mom keeps calling and he, he's, it's never a good time. So that also comes up here. The diva also shows up, who's a giant blue woman in a burka, or something like a burka, and she's vaguely mystical, like she seems to have some sort of telepathy ability. these these stones somewhere that are vitally important to save the planet and she knows that Lilu needs them so she sends one of her attendees to say to Lilu like okay listen sit tight after the concert will pass off these <laughs> vital world-saving artifacts instead of right the fuck now and you can leave and we can, you know, get this sorted. Yeah, because you saved the fucking universe. The bus to Earth is still docked, but instead of right now, we're going to do it this evening when you're stuck here. <laughs> but, you know, don't think about it. Not thinking about it. Maybe she knows she has to be to die to have her stomach ripped open. 
to get to the steps. Well, she's she got just to be wants able... to do one last show. Well, that'd be weird, because they got <laughs> in there in the first without killing her, right? Like... I, I don't know. She... I'm just trying to think of why... Why would she possibly not just give them to them in there? It's... It makes no sense. I wonder how she got them in there. Like, can she pass those? Was that surgically implanted? Because they're like brick-sized bricks. They're not... Yeah, it is weird. They don't... That's not something that's ever addressed. Yeah, they're like lozenge-shaped gemstones or something. Fair enough, she swallowed or keistered it or something. These are like surgically implanted. Makes no sense. So she looks like a twilight, and the concert scene is also divisive. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, because it's interspersed with the, or it's interspliced with um, the fifth element fight with all the space works, which is actually kind of a fun fight. Yeah, it's not, you know, I'm not an opera fan, but it's art. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. She's how much she got And the diva's got some funky moves. But this is apparently the part that a lot of people hate the most. They don't like her funky moves? I, I like the whole thing. Um, okay, although, yeah. although, listen, the fight choreography is not the best. No, I mean, yeah, she does that, like, she, like, grabs the guy's nose and does, like, little face slaps. It's... <laughs> <laughs> what else just the, like, the, the super kids show and also this movie thing of, like, the background bad guys just sort of doing dances and watching it's it's rumbling around waiting to have waiting to jump in yeah but somehow the way they shoot it's way more obvious in this one than almost a movie I've ever seen which is uh it's not good but it's it's fun to me because I remember liking you when I was younger. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, they definitely do have the background rumblers. Yeah, it's juxtaposed with a uh, opera singer from Preston Vocal Range. Um, I don't know enough about opera, know how impressive, but it's very impressive. Uh, they obviously digitized it and 
good stuff with it, but all me over not the know. place. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Zorg is up there in the ship. It turns out he does have, and just didn't want to use earlier. <laughs> uh, sending a fake distress signals to let him land, which he does. And then Zorg comes in right when he's done beating up all the orcs and chases her. Well, the orcs take over the ship and kill the diva. And there's a weird setup scene right before this happens where Ruby Road is introducing all these characters that won't come back at any point except for one of them. Yeah, it's like the only one who gets comes back is the, it's like a sports ball, like a future sports ball player, and he's wearing a prom dress or something. He has like one deaf, I think he's a movie star actually, but, okay, but yeah, the, the, the deaf guy is the only one that comes back and just like three or four different ones. I didn't. Oh, I don't. I didn't think he was deaf. I just thought he was on tons of drugs. Oh, I think he couldn't hear very well. Was the thing. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh. I thought Ruby Red made a comment about how he was flying high as a kite or something. Along those lines. Oh, maybe. No, you're probably right. Uh, but yeah, they introduce all these people that are then not characters during the giant fight scene. Yeah, because they're all in the concert hall, and then the orcs come in, take over the concert hall, and you don't see any of them, like it's just Corbin, Ruby Rose, and the Diva up on stage, where she says the stones are in her and dies, and he has to pull them out of her stomach. Fucking disembowels her for the... But he's on stage and no one sees this. Like, it's, it's, it's very strange. <laughs> I think it's towards the edge of the stage, so, you know, it's harder to see that. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Zork is shooting after Lilu in the vents, and I guess hits her a couple times? Or she yeah, gets all... Yeah, she, she takes a couple slugs. Yeah. But he can't kill her, so he steals another empty briefcase and runs off. And for some reason, puts a bomb on the door 
for no reason. Oh yeah, what? Doesn't he? Yeah, why does he? I guess he just wants people dead. Just giving himself a really short timetable for no reason. Yeah, and he doesn't need... He doesn't need to kill anybody on that ship. He's it makes no sense, but he puts a... Yeah. He puts a... Uh, like a timed mine from Goldeneye 64 on the door. <laughs> Runs off. Meanwhile, Bruce Willis goes all Bruce Willis action star and kills like thirty guys in the the ballroom. Hey, is the actor who plays like the he's like the skipper who lets Bruce Willis? Take control of the situation. Is he in something about Mary? I believe so, yes. Isn't he the one that's in love with her or something? Yeah. The one I was trying to place him, and it wasn't until earlier this evening that, uh, that, that came to mind. It's the same guy, right? I think so. Okay, okay. I don't know his name or anything, so... No, that's it. I was... Yeah, that's it. Uh, This is where the explosion happens, I think, was the big one that caused a fire. Uh, he's hiding behind the bar and shooting much of the orcs, and the orcs are shooting back, etc., etc. This is uh, around now is when it comes around like, oh, Ruby Road is gonna be here for the rest of the movie. <laughs> turns out. Because he's just following him. I don't know why, but he is. It's fine. I like him. But I don't know why he's still here and why he's not going literally anywhere else where it'd be safer. Yeah, because obviously Corbin Dallas just keeps running towards danger. I guess they're trying to play like Ruby thinks Corbin's the safest person to be around because he's so capable. But or he's just with admirable journalistic integrity <laughs> pursuing the story. Cause I do think he's he's like within the weird frivolous framework he has. He seems like he's a really good broadcaster and really dedicated to it. So it might just be like, well, people need to know what's happening and I'm a serious journalist in the future. At the end of uh, at the end of the whole scene he's got that little line 
like that was my best show, so this gotta be in the back of his head a little bit. Yeah. So he's tagging along. Wills kills everyone. Yep. There's that control room negotiating gag where he solves the problem of the orcs by just walking and shooting the leader. Yeah, he figures out who uh, who's in charge and it's the guy who's holding a hostage. And he just yeah. one-shots him through the eye, but between the eyes. And I guess we're done. And that's the, the orcs follow the uh, Avengers rules where <laughs> if you shoot the right place they all die so they don't actually die they just stop fighting <laughs> they go and find shot up Lulu, pick her up steal Zord shit fuck off meanwhile Zord comes back to defuse the bomb and he does, but it turns out there's a separate orc bomb, which is clearly a master lock. <laughs> and it's also set to the same time as the bomb that Zorg set. Yeah, so it's just like... It's a gag. <laughs> and then Zorg just dies. And that's he destined to Zorg. Yeah, and because the, the orbs weren't actually working for him, like, he didn't actually do anything the entire movie except put some holes in Leo's leg. Like, that was his leg. And then I guess he, he must have put the orcs on through the trail of Corbin Dallas, so he started that, but then they acted on their own free will after that. Oh yeah, I guess he was the one who hired them to shoot the ship down originally, I guess. Yeah, so they knew that there was something worthwhile, so. So it's his fault, but he wasn't really in control of anything. Yeah, well also he... This was fun. He shares no screen time with Bruce Willis. Like, they're never in the same room at the same time. This one scene where they pass each other, or Bruce Willis goes through a hallway to get to the elevator, and then a couple seconds later, Zorg goes through the same hallway is the closest they ever come to actually seeing each other. Oh, that's actually kind of a cool detail. 
Yeah. Yeah, they're never, uh, they're never exactly opposed. Yeah, but he still feels like the villain. Ah, that's neat. That's actually... I wonder if that was an intentional piece of artistic direction. Yeah, all in all, he has almost no effect on the actual story. He's just yeah. there and very charismatic. So weird. Okay, yeah, so there... So Lilo's still injured at this point, right? She's yeah, trying they to, like find a reason to live. They steal the ship. Ian Holmes is also there. I forget exactly when he joined them, but he did <laughs> at some point there because he stood aboard. So it's so it's the priest and Lilo and Bruce Willis and Chris Tucker and they're on the ship and the big ship blows up and they get a call from the president and he just kinda hangs up on him. <laughs> That's true. President Depot's like, hey, how are things going? He's like, eh, I gotta go. Which is another one of those scenes where it's like, well, why are we? Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, and the general's also alive. The general's back in the president's chamber, even though we clearly saw him as a desiccated, frozen corpse. <laughs> and yeah, because then he got shoved back in there too, which was messed up. Yeah. They've got like a hard time of it now. This planet's on the way. It's going to be there in like two hours. I think they mentioned once earlier they had like two days, but time doesn't Concert's gonna be this evening. They don't know what time of day it is then, even. So it's all we know is like the only point you really need to know when we're running out of time for something is if the, there's a timer on the bomb or at the very end when they tell you. It's like 15 minutes before the aliens hit. Otherwise, time doesn't really matter. Yeah. And they... It's just weird. Um, but some years of time load, it's a two-hour time load. So they gotta go back to Egypt and do the thing. Uh, because the planet has sped up. <laughs> this is when uh, Lilu first starts 
pointing out that humans are bad because they only destroy things, or all their inventions destroy things. At this moment, Lilu is finally questioning uh, her role as the fifth element. Well, no, because it's premature, because she's, she's saying how she doesn't like humans, or how humans use a lot of technology to destroy and stuff. And then, for some reason, she looks up war, which, yeah. which then puts this down her head after she's expressed it already. And also, uh, like, there's some gag on she was she was only up to V or something in the Wikipedia that Ian Holmes was using to teach her all of humanity. Because <laughs> there's some throwaway scene when she's back at the priest's house where she's going through it all. There are so many things that come before V, like war bumpstrap, but she was okay with like genocide <laughs> and like slavery and all of the other like like, I know the alphabet, goddammit. There's just Warbin. That's the big just one. Where's <laughs> the one? Where's the only problem It's the catch-all. It's just such an umbrella for everything. It's just too much. did not need the Wikipedia stuff at all. <laughs> That's funny. So now they're in Egypt. Yay! Because even though she's expressing this doubt, it comes to nothing. It's just in there. <laughs> Well, it's about, because then she's got, like, ennui once they get her there, because she's just kind of, like, laying in the pedestal. I know but she's also full of bullet holes. She's, it's, it's, it's a bullet hole. It's not, it's not just ennui, but I think the ennui is really like a big part plus the bullet holes of why she's not into being there. I'm just saying the function it serves in the story is already taken care of by the bullet holes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fight you on it. <laughs> <laughs>
said, you said truck safari? Trust. It's <laughs> uh, in Humboldt County. There is a term called trustafarian. Trust. It's usually applied to wealthy trust kids from Southern California coming up and adopting dreads. Yeah. No. I and I I've heard the term trustafarian before. I thought you said truckstafarian. Oh no no no. Just think like a uh, like a truck stop safari. Uh, oh, <laughs> I was going weird directions with it. Sure, sure. The matches sweat, dust, and breath. The four elements, and then the fifth element is smooching. Full-on smooching. There's no old bard. It's definitely at the height of PG-13. Because she's all saying, like, but uh, what what if it's not worth saving? He's like, there's good things. What about smooching? It's the worst term ever. 
you take something someone enjoys and make it gross. Oh, yeah, just... Oh, God, don't say it again. <laughs> so... The way so, that makes me feel the way I hear many people respond to moist about. doesn't bug me either, but the yucky, yummy thing is just freaky. Uh, it's yuck your yums. Not, not into yums. it. Not into it. You said it again. It's so gross. Alright, alright. <laughs> so listen, my notes at this point read, and I quote, they blow it up the planet, turn into moon the... Yeah. So, I, I think this was what I was writing while I was watching the screen and not looking exactly at the page. That sucks it up, though. I mean, you catch your shit. She shoot the beam out her mouth, the smooch beam. She shoots the smooch beam out of her mouth and it turns the moon into a holding still moon. <laughs> and there's an image of the two moons now, which Maybe it's supposed to imply this almost happened once before. Okay. And that's what our moon is? Or maybe that's not what they're going for? Are you still reading your notes at this point, or are you... Are you asking? I'm asking. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Um... And also, didn't they, they say they stopped at a height of like 60 miles or something? Like it was really it was close. real close to the planet. You put a moon 60 miles up in the air, it's gonna fall. You've still killed everyone. <laughs> like, that's uh, you not... know, it wasn't a planet, it was, it was pure evil, so maybe that doesn't affect things in quite the same way. Maybe it's weightless? Yeah, maybe it's weightless. We don't know. We were given no rules for this thing. That's true. It gives her the out for, like, everything. Sure, if they can 3D print a body, have the technology to push a moon up. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, I don't have any notes 
thinking. Okay. I still think I like this. This is when Ruby storms off, and I enjoy this a lot. Because the laser thing happens, and he's just like, ah! <laughs> and he walks out. <laughs> And that's his exit. Like, I, I enjoy. He says they're too violent, <coughs> and stuff always goes crazy. And he's like, and he's not recording anymore, so he doesn't have to be there. Yeah. And then it cuts to the next day, or later, or next year. I can't fucking tell time of this. But <laughs> President Tebow wants to meet them. He's having one. There's a gag where, where Bruce Willis's mother calls again. President talks to her and she thinks he's doing an impression and it's not a good one. And Dane's like, I wanna meet I wanna meet those two guys. And Pervy Doctor looks in the window of the tube that they're both in for some reason. The the self-destruct tube with Jared button that kills anything in that tube. Yeah. From earlier in the movie. Well, that's also supposed to be like. That's where supposed to rejuvenating rays in it as well. So it's a tanning bed slash 3D printer. Basically. He looks in the window, it's like, no, 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 they're fucking. <laughs> so we can't talk to him. Cause they're, cause they're busy fucking while the president Debo talks to, talks to Corbin's mom. That's a really weird ending. And then this weird, like, late 80s pop song comes on. And that's the movie, that's the fifth element. That's the movie, the fifth album. Yeah, it cuts the credits, dude. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you... Uh, I mean, did you like this movie when, when it came out? When we were teenagers? Or... How old were you when this came out? In the 98s, we would have been like 13. Yeah, I think so. Um. And this I liked. I liked the visuals, and I still like the visuals. Uh, a whole lot. It's still a really cool, stylistic movie. Yeah, and they, they don't, 
they don't over CG it. I think the only CG effect that I at least noticed in the entire movie was the uh, the weird Ghost Rider skull shooting out of the planet to blow up the Star Destroyers. <laughs> Which looked yeah. pretty bad, but that was the only one they did. It, it looked very bad, let's be honest, but that was the only one they did. I like it. I like it. You really it's, ramped up to that. I like it. It's a weird. It looks very good. I like it more than other things that look the same. I like it more than Judge Shred. I don't like it as much as Blade Runner. And I like it more than Valyrian. Alright. Okay. It definitely goes all over the place. And it could have been trimmed about 40 minutes. <laughs> And has very sort of childish logic about cause and effect and that sort of thing. But past a certain point, combined with the weird visuals and like the fashion and the outfits they designed and the characters like Ruby Road being normal in this world. I'm okay with it, because basically just everyone's insane. <laughs> and that's a future that, like, as far as sci-fi futures go, I could, I, could, I could live in this one. It's less grim, it's more colorful, it doesn't do that gritty realism and everything's dystopian and terrible thing. And the, I, I didn't talk that much, but the space orbs look great. The, um, the Mandalore, Mandalorians? Yeah, they would look pretty good. And they're, they're, cause I, I think they're mostly practical. And they have pretty good articulation across their face and their lips and their eyes yeah yeah I liked them I liked the I don't even remember what they were called but the, the big old turns out they're all Lilu and costumes ones oh yeah the golden the golden egg penguins yeah. The blue space diva, who was basically a Twi'lek. It wasn't Mandalorian, so it was from Star Wars also. It was the Mandalore. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I liked the bait lady, who was basically a giant blue Twi'lek. 
I liked everything about this movie except trying to follow why anything happened. Honestly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that's... That's really the only problem. It's a big problem, but not big enough to make the movie bad. I do like it, I've decided. It's a good movie. Yeah. I enjoy it. What about you? Uh, I, this is still just, I know this is just going to be a movie that I'm going to happily return to throughout my life. Like, uh, like I'll wa- I, I will watch Jurassic Park probably once a year. Kind of idly, sometimes it'll be like a day where I'm sick or something. I'll watch Fifth Element, you know, once a year, probably just kind of randomly on on a whim. It's just gonna always. So it's like Ghost Dog. It's like Ghost Dog for you. It's not well, cause you you love Ghost Dog. I don't. Love Fifth Element. I just enjoy it, and it's and it's nostalgic for me. And I, separate from the nostalgia, I agree with you. It's just such a visually unique movie that I I still enjoy watching it for that as well. I think you love Ghost Dog. I just enjoy Fifth Element. Well, for the record, I learned to love Ghost Dog because it was one of three DVDs me and Drew owned. So, (laughs) I saw it many dozens of times. Oh no, the, the exact reason learn to love Ghost Dog was cut out. You came back just at the very end of explaining. So, I, I love Ghost Dog because I learned to love Ghost Dog because it was one of three DVDs that me and Drew owned. So, so it was just this was the movie you had. Yeah, it, it, I, I will defend that movie, I think it's pretty good, but it, it was a, uh, repetition, familiarity, breeding affection, not necessarily the other way around, although you think it has its strengths, but Garrett hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett, you'd want that, uh, you would 
wants me to offset you on how much you love it, wouldn't you? I don't know if Garrett can keep it light. I think he actually hates a lot of things on that like, so... It would just become a super aggressive debate. I think Sam, because I don't know if Sam's seen it yet, and I also know he wouldn't... He doesn't have the same aesthetic taste as I do, so I'm not sh I also don't know if he would like it either. I don't like it a lot or I hate it. But I have no idea, so I want to hear. Yeah, I'd be curious as well. So, what's the, uh... Oh, before I finish this question. So yeah, I, I, I don't have much more to say on why I like it. I mean, I, I agree with a lot, of, a lot of your comments and why I think it's still enjoyable and, and cool. The one thing we haven't really talked about, and I don't have anything more to say except I think the, the score works really well for this movie. Okay. Uh, it's just, it's just like a, kind of an upbeat, I don't, it's not, it's not EDM, but it's, um, it's kind of like crunchy industrial. It's weird Euro industrial minimalist. Uh, like the music that's playing when he's first in his, his apartment. It's like it might be diegetic, like it's, it might be music playing in his apartment, or it might just be his theme, but it's... It's very it's punctuated. Like two tracks of... Yeah. Yeah. It works well, well with, like, it works well with hard cuts and, like, and, and quick movements. So, like, I think the music either emphasized uh, a, a, a movement to the movie, um, or the movement to the movie was driven by the type of music they wanted to play to it, but it works really well together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that would be my, my one thing I would want to add to why, stylistically, why I think I'm still going to be into this movie for 
for probably years to come. Yeah. Music, costuming, set dressing, cinematography, virtually everything about this movie. Also, there are no bad actors in this movie. Like, some of the lines are called upon to deliver are nonsensical, but everyone does a really good job. Yeah, agreed. Me, Yovich does a lot with gibberish speaking and nonverbal acting. Bruce Willis is still pretty top of his game in this. Chris Tucker's amazing. Yep. Yep. Gary Oldman's always amazing. And Ian Holmes is... Ian Holmes is especially good at saying nonsense things with gravitas. Uh, most of the movies I know him from are, are being able to not be embarrassed by his lines very, very well. And President Debo's great because he's President Debo. Yeah, I agree. So, Ben, what's it? What's it gonna take? What's it gonna take before I get Sam to do this Batman thing with me? Uh, have you called him? Okay, so I should try calling him. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Wait. Has he complained this whole time based on the fact that I didn't arrange a play date for you two and you're both perfectly uh, record this. I've seen him twice on public transit and mentioned it. And I have texted him, but I have not verbally called, I have not called him and used my voice. So, so he he has a preceding visual impairment, and he rides public we've transit. Talked, we've talked. We've talked on public transit. Constantly, you knew it was me. By street people. I we sat next to each other. He acknowledged me as Anthony and we okay, talked about okay. the things that we know about each other in the world. <laughs> Alright. No, I've there's been there's been attempts, just hasn't been a a specific phone call. <laughs> So you're not just 
bit screaming at the train just yelling at him. Hey! Hey! Record Batman! And you know what? Hey, even if I did do that to him, a stranger yelling record Batman should be enough to get him to get a hold of me. Fair enough. Yeah, I would say call him sometime and try to set up an actual time to do it would be my first my first suggestion. <laughs> Alright. I'll do this phone call and hopefully we get something going. Yeah, not not till next week though, because I'm recording an episode about the uh, the crow with him later this week in hopes of having it up uh, while I'm in Europe. Awesome. Thanks a lot to our sponsors. Uh, it's 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 really fun to do this show, and it's now fully paid for by listener contributions, and then everything over the hosting costs uh, is divided in half, and half goes towards Matt, uh, not Matt Nay. Manatee Habitat Preservation, and we've coming up, we're coming up on another big reward deadline. So if anyone wants to get in on the plush manatee, it's going to be coming into the mail. Uh, let us know, because if you're a patron above a certain level, it's the, the prizes go to you because I don't need all of these plush manatees. And just to clarify, the funding is going to all manatee, all, all manatees, not just North American matinee manatees. Is that, is that correct? I actually don't know how it's allocated. I assume that it's sort of focused on specific habitats they're trying to preserve and not, you know, so it's probably going towards specifically manatees in like a couple square miles of some place that they think is high risk. But I don't specify which one, so it's wherever the experts think it's most important. So there's that. Do you think someday matinee manatees will get to a place where individuals could sponsor single manatees? I think someday we're going to have our own satellite. 
Yes. It's gonna have a swimming pool in it. It's gonna be manned by a mixed and diverse crew of half manatees and half humans. It's gonna have water tubes throughout every deck, like the dolphin tubes on Sequest, that weird show starring <laughs> Jaws. Except instead of dolphins, silly manatees. And wow. it's a glorious future, and we're going to be the first to. Because, you know. It, there aren't that many habitable planets in the universe that we know of, and most of them that are aqueous. So we're going to need creatures that can swim. And I think dropping manatees on the moons of Jupiter is a logical first step. I think we're going to spearhead that if this podcast goes well. That's like a really beautiful future. You've made me optimistic for the first time in weeks. Or the gimmick's going to wear out and the few patrons we have are going to sort of drop off because, you know, Damn it. That's more likely, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The point is, we've contributed some. Uh, There's gonna be more. And thank you very much for helping us do this. Yeah, thank you. I'll get it on that. Thank you, that's pretty cool. Well, until next time, I've been Ben. Uh, I've been Anthony. And this is Mad Day Manatees. And I love you. Brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash matinee manatees. If you like what you've heard and like to hear more, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all profits after hosting costs go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes, the Stitcher app, or on YouTube. Our music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this track and hundreds of others on his website in Thanks for listening.